How you doing today, Brian? Nick, what is up? Nothing much. We just kind of uh, recorded another solo episode. We'll have some more guests coming, I promise. But we feel like, you know, just give us a little break here and a little win. We had some ideas we wanted to flush out um, here, you know, but we'll have some great guests coming. But today we talked about uh, strategy, um, you know, from a corporate perspective, organizational spec perspective, all the way down to a personal perspective and, and goal setting and measuring metrics. It was a pretty wide and varied conversation. I think so. And strategy is something that, you know, it's often cited as you've got to have this, but it's not just a box that you check. There's really uh, some thinking that has to go behind it. And it's not all that complex. So I've worked with some organizational leaders who have frozen up when they've been challenged by whoever they report to, that you've got to deliver a strategic plan. People can tend to get locked up and think, oh my God, where am I going to start with that? And uh, I think you'll find that today we, we break it down into some pretty simple parts that make it easy for anyone to tackle setting strategy very quickly. Yeah. And I, I think with that, that's probably a good way to just let people get on with the episode. Let's do it. All right. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about strategy, which is a topic that I love. I've always found myself gravitating towards setting strategy. And it's it's one that, uh, given the time of year now in October of 2020, it's it's usually part of the conversation that goes along with most organizations as they are doing their budget planning. In my experience, strategy works best when it comes first and the budget planning comes after, but I know that's not always the way it works out in reality for a lot of companies. You know, I think right now people are probably kind of flying by the seat of their pants, right? Um, it is October, 2020. Um, if anybody's listened to this, we don't need to describe what events are going on and I'm not going to, uh, if you've been living under a rock and don't know what's going on, I don't know how that's happened, but, um, you know, it is October, 2020. So if you're listening to this in the future, just go look it up on the Google machine and it'll tell you what's going on. <laughs> uh, but I would say about strategy, and you made up a good point about budgeting is right now it's kind of unknown, right? Everyone's kind of adapting, trying to take their business models. And especially since we look at this from a budgetary standpoint, it's probably a good idea to go back and revisit your strategy in the short-term goals, right? We should be looking at what are the short-term goals right now? And I know a lot of organizations had to shift to remote work. Um, so are there things working? Are there things not working in that strategy? Is there places that we should be allocating resources? Um, I, th I think it, right now, it's probably a mix of strategy and tactical, you know, the ta tactical part of making it happen, um, just because everything's shifting kind of in the moment right now. Yeah, that's, that's true. And you know, from my perspective, coming from an agile development background, having the agility in your strategic strategic plan has always been an, an important uh, part of the process for me and, and not one that I've always, uh, you know, depending on what kind of team I'm working with, that, that isn't always the vision, you know, from other uh, executive leaders. So for many types of divisions within an organization, there, there tends to be um, 
a perception that strategy can be set on these goals where it's like you work on this one thing for a period of time and then you finish that and then you work on this other thing for a period of time and you finish that when in reality the way that work is typically happening there's a lot of threads that are running concurrently and some of those threads may have dependencies or they may be prerequisites for other things that are in the strategic plan and then of course there's always the unknown whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a change in uh, revenues for the organization, whether it's uh, a new acquisition. You know, I mean, there's a lot of disruptors that can cause business interruption. And when those things occur, I've always found it important to be able to, to have some give in the way the strategic plan is laid out so that you can accommodate for those changes, right? Priorities may shift as a result of some of those things coming in. So uh, we, we can talk a little bit more about, you know, the structure that I've used to put those things in place. Um, looked like you were going to jump in with a comment there, Nick. No, go ahead. You're, you're well, I was just going to ask you because we should probably start from the beginning, which is just even defining what strategy is. I, you know, I've been surprised working with other leaders over time and kind of getting this variation of what the perception is of even, you know, how you identify strategy. So What's, what's your definition for it, Nick? How do you think about it? For me, when I think about it, um, you know, in the technology perspective, a lot of people think of strategy as, you know, like we're trying to turn our servers over to cloud in XYZ timeframe. Uh, but to me, strategy needs to start at the top level, right? What is the overall goal of the organization? What does the organization try to do um, as a company? Like as you need to start from that main starting point because you need to make sure that as you're setting the strategy, that it leads to the organization's overall goals, um, not just that you're IT and you're trying to do digital transformation and you're trying to get everything online by X Y Z. That's that's a tactical requirement to something um, that should be higher set up as a strategy, in my opinion. Uh, so, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. You know. It, it makes me think of uh, an anecdote. I was a, a new technology leader at an organization and the CEO came to me and he said, hey, now that you're here, you know, we're really psyched because um, what we need is we need a technology strategic plan. And I said, okay, that's great. Uh, I would love to sit down and take a look at the, the corporate strategic plan. I said, oh, no, no, no. Well, I mean, that's what we need the technology strategic plan for us because now we, we've, we've never done a corporate strategic plan, but we're going to need that technology strategic plan so that we can make the corporate strategic plan. And I said, well, hang on a second. Isn't that a little bit in reverse order? <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't we be doing that? Like, I kind of need to know what the vision is of the company. What's the direction of the company? And, you know, certainly there are some tactical things that I know need to happen in order to solidify the foundation for the technology, but that's, that's not what setting strategy is. So to, you know, what I just heard you say, when you have a vision and you've, you've got, you know, some stretch goals, uh, it, it may seem uh, improbable that you can get to this next level that you've set as a stretch goal for your organization without some kind of dramatic changes that take place, right? But to me, that's what good strategy should be. And I like the way you put that. The way I always phrase this, 
when I speak to people who are new about it, because it's definitely a confusing concept to get, you know, get behind the, the way I like to use it. I like to use metaphors, like using a map and using Google maps or ways to get somewhere. Right. The strategy is the point a, it's the destination. It's where you're trying to go. Right. And the tactical version is the actual route that you take. You can always, you know, as you drive down the road, Google's constantly looking at traffic ahead. Are there construction? Are there waypoints? But you still need, you still know where you're going. As long as Google knows what the end destination is, it can always route you some way around uh, to get to the end goal. So I always look at strategy as a map. You have where you currently are, which is the current situation you are as an organization. The destination is end goal. What are the missions um, of the organization? What are the values? What is, what is the organization trying to accomplish as a whole in general? Outside of we're in business to make money. Everybody's in business to make money. Uh, so throw that out the window, right? Or else you'd be a nonprofit organization. Um, and even them, even they have goal of bringing money in for, you know, for some source or take that and leave that by the side. Um, whatever the missions, the overall goals of the organizations are, that's the destination. And the strategy is a route, the path that you're going to take to get to the destination. Yeah, you might hit a roadblock, you might hit traffic, you might hit somewhere, but as long as you know where you're going and where you are, you can always reroute to a different way to get to your destination. Yeah, I think so too. And you often see that in strategic plans defined by both the vision statement and a mission statement, right? The vision being more, what's that destination? The mission being, how do we enable our capabilities to be able to get there? Um, and I like what you said also uh, in terms of the specific route being the more tactical, right? The, the vision should be something that is uh, more articulated around a theme or a purpose or, you know, a clear objective. Uh, and then the how uh, in terms of driving you to get there, right? Those things, uh, they're all tactical. And there's a lot of different approaches that you can take to reach that destination. Yeah, so, that's why I like using the map because instantly everyone, most people have used a map to get somewhere, right? And it, it, for me, it's a good metaphor to, to put it out in place to make it easily understandable. Yeah, and, and part of what I like about that, Nick, is that it's it breaks it down into its simplest parts. You know, <laughs> I've worked with other executive leaders who they sit down with me and they ask, okay, you know, how do I set strategy? Is there a particular framework to use? Yes. Yes is the answer. There there are a lot of different frameworks that you can use, but is it necessary to have a framework? No. But what we're talking about here, breaking it down simply, uh, those are really the facets that you need to be thinking about. So, uh, so one example, a number of years ago, pre-pandemic, <laughs> one, of, one of the objectives that was set out was mobility, right? What does it mean to create a mobile workforce? And so there's a lot of discussion around that theme. It can mean different things to different people, right? Mobility uh, could mean that from a client engagement perspective, we're actually putting more tools and more data right in the hands of our clients so that they can engage with our business in a much more self-service oriented way. But it could also mean that we are enabling our workforce to work anytime, anywhere, from any device securely right? And mm -hmm. not be dependent on having to come into a physical office where they have their name on 
uh, a placard and there's a desk always waiting for them, or maybe you can have something that's more of a hoteling structure so that people can really work wherever life uh, you know requires them to be at the time. So more of a more of an enablement around that employee experience, right? So that you could be working from home, but you could just as easily be working at a desk in the office even if it's, you know, not your permanent location, um, because the idea of permanent location starts becoming less and less relevant, right? Who knew that the pandemic was going to supercharge <laughs> that, <laughs> the, uh, all the characterizations related to that. But, you know, here we find ourselves where um, that was a pretty good strategy a number of years ago. And if you hadn't executed on it by 2020, you were probably in desperate need of figuring out some way that you could pivot to make that happen, you know? <laughs> I, I like how you brought that up too. And this just gets me going on projects in general, because when I think of an overall strategy or an IT strategy, I think, you know, it, it's a project that winds up getting spun up, right? And it has, you know, stakeholders and an executive sponsor, Right, you do all this traditional project management things. And one of the things I always like to talk about when we come into projects or a strategy is I always like to ask people is what would make this successful for you? Because the end of the goal, we need some kind of KPIs or metrics to determine if we're on track or off track. Um, we're trying to set a strategy to make a thousand widgets a month. It's like this is just some random example, but you know we're we're defining what we're doing, we're defining the problem, and to me, we'd be successful if we made a thousand of them, right? <laughs> um, I, I think it's important that when you get in and you set strategies, especially with the executive stakeholders, um, if you're big, bigger organization or smaller, is to define you know what would be successful coming out of this strategy planning session. You know we can plan to be. 100% completely mobile, move to some cloud environment, you know, we'll use whatever that neural link Tesla, you know, Musk thing is where you have your brain. I mean, you can shoot for the moon, right? But unless we define, come together as a group, say, okay, well, what's going to be successful in year one, year two, year three? Can we define success for our strategy so that we can then, when we come back and we find out we're off track, you know, when we're looking at our map and go, okay, here's a roadblock. How do we get over to here? we have some type of KPIs or some type of measurements to determine where success is. Yeah, I think that's very important. And, you know, it can kind of, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I think you can go a couple of different directions, right? Some people can get so hung up on the measurements that the successes that are, are truly occurring then get overlooked because they didn't hit some kind of indicator or they fell short of whatever your margin is on how you're measuring things. But um, without having some form of measurement, without determining you know, what is our rate of success on achieving these objectives, then how do you know you're actually advancing on that map, right? <laughs> how do you know that the, the route that you've taken uh, is actually a good route? You know, Are you on a two-lane highway or are you on a four-way freeway? You know? <laughs> Exactly. And it doesn't have to be crazy statistics, you know, hiring KPMG or Accenture or somebody to come and do. It could be something as simple as here's the three things we want to accomplish. We'll look at it once a quarter. Are we there? Do we feel like we're successful towards this measure? It doesn't have to be, you know, the work breakdown structures with the Gantt charts and all that. You know, if you're a smaller organization and you don't have that ability, that project manager ability, just write three or four things down that are super important for your strategy that you want to accomplish in the year. 
get together the stakeholder teams and say, look, are we on track? Are these even the right goals anymore? Are we still going the right direction? Um, and I think it's really important right now in the short term, right? We'll set our long-term goals, keep those long-term because, you know, it's long-term, right? It's like playing the stock market. Things change so fast. And if you're reacting to every single little thing all the time, you wind up off track. But we should be looking at our short-term goals probably once a quarter and saying, okay, from a strategy perspective, does this still make sense that we're doing this? Um, you know, should we be shifting to A? Should we be shifting to B? What do you think? And that's when I think the difference between a manager and a leader comes in, right? The manager side, you know, will look at the metrics saying, okay, this is off by this, you know, we're zero percentage down in revenue, but the leader's side of it can look and say, hey, I see what's going on. There's large world events going on. What can we do to be successful right now? Um, and ask your people, your frontline people. So I think right now we need, you know, people who have the ability to manage and people who need have the ability to lead at the same time. Yeah, without question. And some of what you just talked about there is part of what led me down this path of really applying some of my own agile software development background to how we could map things, roadmap things for a strategic plan. So part of what I described earlier was, you know, sort of this step-by-step -step kind of waterfall structure that's comfortable to a lot of different types of divisions. Of course, they, again, you know, they don't tend to have as many dependencies uh, in something like a risk management division, say, mm -hmm. versus a technology division, right, where you may be wrestling with uh, a, a lot of different things that you're trying to change in your environment so that you can future proof it and align with the corporate strategy, for example, to become a more mobile workforce, right? There's, there's a lot that needs to happen uh, under the covers that, uh, you know, no one else is interested in, but from uh, an IT leadership perspective, you've got to be really cognizant of what are the prerequisites, what are the dependencies, what are the things that can't move, what are the things that you know have some flexibility to them. So what I started doing was I, I built out a template in PowerPoint, and you know I created four swim lanes, and for each of those swim lanes, those areas were groupings of various capabilities, right? So it may be related to data it may be related to governance it you know another swim lane may be related to mobility another one may be related to applications and then within each of those swim lanes i could build out modules that were the actual uh, tactical objectives that rolled up into each of those key strategic swim lanes and that gave me the ability then to kind of move those modules around based on some sizing exercises to de determine what was the level of effort between each of those objectives. Uh, I could either create something that would show me over a, a quarter by quarter basis, right? This is going to take us two quarters to accomplish this. And this has to be done before this other thing that can be started late in the second quarter in order for the work to continue. So over time, you know, that uh, little tool that I built for myself became really valuable because it allowed me to pivot very quickly, but still be able to shift any of the work that may be ahead of a business interruption. And I could still demonstrate that to the rest of the organization from more of a KPI or measurement perspective. 
but it also got to be kind of mind-numbingly grueling <laughs> updating a freaking PowerPoint slide, you know, <laughs> all these little elements that I had built into it. And um, eventually I found a, a cool tool and I'm sure there's a lot of them out there. I've, I've seen a variety of them. The one that I liked the best is called Product Plan. Mm -hmm. And it was really designed to be a product roadmap tool. But what I found was it enabled me to, to really replicate the same kind of uh, agile strategic framework into a tool that was very easy to, you know, in a couple of clicks, create new module for your strategy, create a new swim lane, adjust things, you know, move a whole bunch of stuff all at once uh, without a, a whole bunch of uh, mind numbing interaction, you know, with something that was kind of a, an ungainly, uh, you know, misuse of, uh, of an application, you know, for my own objectives. Have there been some tools that you've used in, in any of your own kind of strategic planning work that you found to be beneficial? For me, for, for like, uh, software tools, um, something like Microsoft project is good. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's expensive. I don't know why it's so expensive. Go ask Microsoft why it is. They, they probably don't know. <laughs> um, as it can be. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, especially when you start getting into talking about having your own server, but I, like, I'm not here to talk about vendors, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, like something, uh, there's a bunch of online tools that have popped up recently too, like project management tools like Rike and Smartsheet that have the work breakdown structures, can do the critical paths for you. Um, sure, there's sure. even some open source ones. One, one tool I love using is called draw.io. Um, and it has a downloadable version and you can just make Gantt charts and you can make, um, you know, different swim lanes, all this stuff, it's like a Visio replacement, but it's open source. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously you're not going to get, you know, the, the big project management tool where it will tell you what the critical path is, but if you need to make some graphs or something like that and throw them in a PowerPoint and update staff, you know, it's, it's a perfectly, you know, good tool. There's another good one that I, I used for a while called Liquid Planner. That was actually oh, yeah. mm -hmm. developed by a, a couple of the guys that had worked on the Microsoft project team, uh, split off and worked on Expedia, and then went and created this tool based on, you know, they had really developed it around what their needs were uh, mm -hmm. for Expedia, which had a, a much different uh, sort of cycle of timing for deliverables required uh, for that particular company than had been needed in a larger enterprise like Microsoft. Um, another thing that, uh, you know, very, very simple kind of widget, you know, I, I mean, right there within Slack or within Teams, you've got planner capabilities so that you can just create uh, task level views. You can assign other people from your various channels or groups uh, into them. You, you know, you can track the collaboration. Um, in some cases, you can even uh, see a demonstration of little metrics. You can set metrics that you want to measure against, whether it's time or, you know, commitment, any of these other things. So, yeah, to, I mean, really, there's plenty of tools out there, I think, to help enable people to get there. But I like going back to the simplicity of, of kind of where we started with your definition, really having a sense of what's the destination Mm -hmm. How we're going to get there can have some variance, but you've got to have a clear sense. Uh, you know, are we going to Des Moines or are we going to Billings? <laughs> exactly. If I'm going to drive to Colorado. There's tons of ways I could get there. I can drive all the way up to Maine, then come all the way across, or I can take the shortest path. Um, That's right. Not saying any path's right or wrong, but as long as you're planning, you're expecting to go that long direction. 
then you can always pivot and, and plan for resources. Um, same thing. If you take the shortest path, you can plan that way. Um, like I said, there's a million ways to do everything. It's just whatever works for you, especially from an organizational level. When, uh, you know, we talk about smaller organizations, maybe they don't have access to Microsoft teams or, or Slack or, you know, anything they're doing stuff in Excel. Um, it can be as simple as just doing the task list and doing, you know, working complete typing. I can't remember what that checklist is, but you know, it's just like three buckets. Um, I can't remember. It's like working in progress done or something like that, or, Oh no, it's to do working done. Right. Something, yeah. something along that yeah. line. And as you know, you can make a Trello board and just put the three things in there, move them <laughs> over when they're working and then move them over when they're done. Um, there, there's tons of ways to do it. And you don't have to do it super metric heavy driven. If the talent's not there or the research sources just aren't there. Um, cause you know, as well as I know, when you're a small organization, especially when it's a startup, uh, you're the butcher, the baker, the janitor, the everything. So like you, you might not have the resources to be a dedicated, just project manager. You just need to see where things are currently look at, look at a board. Maybe it's a whiteboard with just post-its on it. You go, Oh, there's 25 things in here. 10 of them are working and eight of them are done. May you know, do some simple math and figure out where you are. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, mean, I was just going to suggest, oh, I don't, I don't know if, can you see that? Yeah, uh, well, no. It doesn't work out on the background, does it? Uh, I was just going to show a, a a yellow notepad lined uh, sticky sheet, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's that's another perfect example to me. It's, you know, if you have an idea, what's your overarching strategy? What's What's that thing that's the destination that's at the top? And now you can come along. What are all of those various enablers that need to be accomplished in some form in order to drive us towards that destination? And to your point, Nick, that can be accomplished just as easily as putting a handful of ideas or tasks onto sticky note sheets and sticking them onto a window and moving them around as you know money becomes available capacity becomes available priorities may shift any of those things yeah i mean that's you know just start somewhere document something um to start don't don't say we're gonna go here and then don't ever review it don't ever do anything I mean, at least write something down and you know, all this stuff can apply to personal goals too, right? What's your personal strategy in your career? Do you want to be somewhere in five years, which I hate that interview question, but we, we can talk about that <laughs> some other time about the worst interview questions in the world. Uh, in my opinion, that's one of the worst ones, but we'll save that for another day. Um, but you know, it's just like when you do your personal goals, do the same thing. What are you trying to accomplish personally or professionally? How do you want to get there? And then just review them every once in a while. It doesn't have to be every, every quarter. Um, one of the great things somebody I had heard somebody do it somewhere and I did it for a little while was take your goals and write them down on a little card and keep them in your wallet or your purse and then pick it out every day and just look at it real quick. Um, and it just keeps it top of mind and gets you thinking about, Hey, are these the right things? Is this where I should be going? Am I, going the right direction? Should I be going to these things? Because, um, you know, as we learn and grow, maybe we realize that, you know, the direction we were trying to go is not the direction we should be going um, as we learn things. And the same thing with strategy, you know, look at it pretty often saying, look, are we, are we going the right direction? Should we be driving here? Yes, we can go there, but do we need to, should we? Um, 
that's why I kind of like in those strategy meetings, I like to just ask questions and, and, and throw a grenade in there just to see what happens. Not, not to do controversy, but just to get people thinking, right. Saying, okay, instead of having this target fixation, let's think of objectively and, and say, okay, is this right? Should we be doing this? Um, you know, there's no wrong answers here. Just looking for ideas. Absolutely. Uh, two points on, on that, that I'll follow with it. You know, first, I, I love that you bring up the personal strategy. Uh, that's something that I keep myself and I have used some of these same agile principles for putting together my own strategy. Uh, and I do review it on a routine basis, make sure that if I'm not on track with certain things, what do I need to be doing to course correct that? Uh, I think it's it's a good practice to to put into place. And again, it can be very simple. It can be, like you said, uh, a handful of objectives that are on a card that you keep in your purse or your wallet. It can be a, a shared document that you share with your significant other or a business partner uh, or, you know, your close friends. Uh, that you just, you know, put into a, a document or a spreadsheet, or in my case, you know, using something like product plan again to, to apply it to uh, what you're doing in your own personal life. I remember years ago, there was this concept of the vision board that was introduced and it kind of got swept away with the secret when that book came out, because all of a sudden it was like, the, it's one of the elements that you got to have in the secret. But I learned about it more from a brainstorming and a mind mapping uh, type of approach where you could work with uh, other executives or others in your cohort who are doing strategic planning together. And you could find visual elements that, it, you know, in just a single glance helped to convey a particular theme that you were trying to drive towards. And by then taking those visual elements and putting them onto a single board and putting that board up in a place that it was continually visible on a day-to-day -day basis. What it did was it continued to help reinforce, these are those themes that are critical to us. And so there, you know, the mind works in funny ways. Um, and I think by having that sort of visual reinforcement on a routine basis, some of those things do start to manifest, right? Now, whether it's the secret, whether it's your own subconscious, uh, trying to drive your, your own uh, routine activities, you know, to, to move towards those things, who knows? But, um, but <laughs> I do think that it's also a valuable organ, uh, uh, exercise, regardless of the size of organization, right? If you're a small organization, Maybe it's even more meaningful because everyone gets a chance to participate in it. If it's a larger organization, maybe you can't have 4,000 people participate in creating it. But mm -hmm. as an artifact, it's something that you can present and you can have it up on digital signage in the break room or in a hallway or, you know, in a, a semi-annual uh, meeting with employees, whatever it is, right? But you can continue to keep bringing those visuals back. And I think you brought up a good point too about the larger organizations, right? You create something, put it out. But then I would say also solicit feedback consistently from those people. Because when we had Peter Lynch on, he had that staggering stat that Gartner did that 53% of people in an organization feel invisible, yeah. uh, which is just crazy. And, and your frontline people should know um, what the strategy is and they should also be able to shift uh, what they're hearing out in the field on the ground up, because those are the people directly interacting with your customers, directly interacting with um, who your businesses, your clients are, your vendors, and they can tell you right away if you're, you know, you're shooting a mile off. 
Um, mm-hmm. I would say solicit feedback up, be open to it. Let people come up and tell you when they see something that's that's not wrong or, or something that's not working. Uh, don't wait till you get to a quarter and you're reviewing financials to find out something doesn't work. Um, you know, let people have a way to bring feedback up um, with an open door policy or however you want to do it, or a comment box or suggestions. Um, I know different things you do um, are kind of different depending on how large your organization is, but there should still be some way for, you know, the frontline staff to get stuff up you know, pertaining to strategy saying, Hey, we, we've been seeing this in the field and we don't think this is going to work. Absolutely. Something that's been known for millennia with navigational science is that if you're off just a slight percentage of a degree, right? That over time you're way off target and, you know, a little bit of course correction early uh, can make all the difference in, in staying on target to, to your point. And I think another facet of that, Nick, is being capable to ask the questions from the position of your competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Andy Grove wrote a book called Only the Paranoid Survive, and it's one of my yeah. all-time favorite, you know, uh, management books. Um, but, uh, you know, it kind of, it's kind of an odd title, right? I mean, that it, it's not the kind of thing that initially attracted me to think, oh, yeah, that's the kind of book I want to read. Only the paranoid survive. I, I don't like the idea of being paranoid, you know. But when you start to think of it in terms of whatever business you're in, you have to know that you've got competitors out there. And if your competitors know your business better than you do, then they're going to kick your butt all day long, right? Oh, yeah. And so... Yeah. Having the paranoia is actually a, a you know a positive exercise uh, in which you can put yourself in the seat of your competitors or your customers or anyone that would be an outside challenger or a new market entrant, so that you can start seeing your your own business practices from the perspective of some outside observer. That's when I think you start driving into some of those really critical areas for strategic planning around your own business imperatives, because you may start to recognize where you've got faults or chinks in your armor or areas of opportunity that you haven't chosen to explore yet. And again, following on your point, Nick, that's part of why soliciting that feedback can be so critical. Because you have to, as a leader, you have to be cognizant of the fact that we all have blind spots. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and yeah. um, we're, you know, ideas are best shared in community. Right. That's when we can all grow and benefit from those things. And that's where knowing the overall mission and vision of the organization helps. Right. You have competitors. Um, you can't be number one at everything. I don't care how large of an organization you are. You can decide based on your culture. Maybe you're all about building a community and relationships with the clients. So then right away, you know that customer experience, user experience, whatever it is, is the most important factor. So we might not win on price. We might not win on time delivery, but you know what? We're going to win on customer experience. We're going to have our customers be so happy with us that they then refer other customers to us. And that's your overarching strategy. And as that goes down, everyone knows what decision to make when an idea comes up, right? Um, like say we're putting together some piece of software and the back end's going to suck, but for, for us as an organization, but the user experience is outstanding. Then we know what decision to make. It's we'll leave the back end messed up. We'll put the burden on here 
because our number one goal, our number one mission, our culture is that we always rely on customer experience. So then as you make that strategy, you know how to make that decision when that comes up and everyone all the way down knows what decision to make. That's why that stuff's so important just before you even start a strategy. With the definition around a vision statement, part of what you said, I think is also an important nuance that factors into that, right? Uh, a vision statement could be to be the best at building these widgets, but what are the nuances that really would then distinguish you? Again, if you're looking outside that we're not the only widget makers, right? There's others that we're competing with. What are those nuances? And I heard you touch on it a couple of times there where it's, we're going to outpace all of our competitors with the most elegant customer experience, right? That could be a nuance that differentiates what that vision is. And so now it makes it easier to sort of triangulate, right? What are the rest of those enablers that have to be in place to actually fulfill that vision? And the mission statement is sort of the next step down from that, right? So it's, okay, if we know that we're going to have the most elegant uh, customer experience among all widget makers, then, then what's the mission? And, you know, what are those key steps that are the foundational elements that always have to be in place in order to support that vision? And from there, you can have all of these different focus areas that became, become those supportive pillars of really driving uh, those additional tactical objectives up into the strategy. At the organizations, I always, when I look at them and I see a vision is to be the number one reseller in X, Y, Z. And to me, when I think about that, I'm like, they, they, they don't have this figured out. <laughs> it's just my opinion. I'm like, you know, that's, that's the tactical objective. That's not the vision mission of this organization. I'm like, so you're just trying to tell me all you care about is being the number one wholesale distributor for floors in the Southeastern United States. It's like, that's really all you care about. Then why would I pick doing business with you over the person who's all about the customer? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd probably even be willing to pay a premium over somebody else if I know that I'm going to get support when I need it. Uh, I get my questions answered. I can pick up the phone. I can talk to you, man. And look, Apple has done this for years, right? They charge a premium. You can look at iFixit. They'll tell you exactly how much their build of materials are. It's normally no more than, you know, Lenovo pays or anything, but people will pay that premium for, for the brand and the culture. They buy into the culture of the organization. Um, like I said, and, and people identify with Apple or, or Google um, and people identify even with other brands. But you see, when you look, go back and you look at those organizations, missions or visions, it's not to be the number one reseller and, you know, like widgets in the Southeast or something like that. It's generally about more. It's about a culture. Um, it's about making a product that somebody can believe in. And, and when you have a vision that your workforce can rally around, that's part of what helps drive that cultural imperative as well. Exactly. Just knowing your why, as Simon Sinek says, mm-hmm. knowing your why can help you then figure out where, where your strategy should go. So I, I would say in the end, you know, in its basic terms, just figuring out your why. Why are you in business? And it's not to be the largest widget maker. Um, there's another reason why you're in business. Figure out what that is and then plot your path from there. 
So I know we always like to challenge our guests with an ask around some kind of media artifact that helps support whatever topic we're exploring. I just heard you say one, right? Simon Sinek, uh, start with why. I think that's now or has been for some time, like the number one most watched TED Talk, right? Oh, yeah. Like 10 years or something. Uh, So if anyone listening to this program somehow has missed that <laughs> or you haven't listened to it in a long time, it's probably worth going back and revisiting because it's, uh, I think there's a reason for its popularity. It's still uh, as spot on as it could possibly be uh, in, in answering that key strategic imperative, right? Yeah. And I would also add, if you're going to read that book, go ahead and read his newer one, The Infinite Infinite Game, I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes even into more detail about the why and applying it to an organization. Because uh, I, I believe he said he wrote that book as an add-on because people would always ask him the same questions about about you know the start with why. Um, and that's also a great read. You can knock both of those out probably in a weekend, depending on how fast of a reader you are. Uh, they're not very big books. And um, what, what I really like about them is that uh, it's not very, um, you know, like academic ish when you're reading the book. It's just straightforward. Hey, here's what a thought and idea. And here's a business example of how it happens. Um, or here's a business case of why this works. So the, both of those are good reads. Those are great recommendations. I, you know, I had mentioned Andy Grove's Only the Paranoid Survive, which I think is just one of those cornerstone books. I mean, at some point in your career, it's worth reading. Uh, it's so well written. And I think just the stories behind the decisions that Andy Grove was forced to make is it's another uh, aspect of inspiration for the book. Yeah. What, what was that quote that came up that book um, that he was, it was like, Oh my gosh, there's so many complacency, uh-huh. <laughs> complacency breeds failure. Only the paranoid paranoid survive. Or something, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Um, I'm sure somebody will correct me, but. Um. <laughs> well, it's one of those books where when you read it, for the first time, uh, it's it's kind of like, you know, when you read Shakespeare and you come across something that you realize it's it's like, oh, that's so trite. You know, I've heard that so many times. Well, except this is the point of origin for where it came from. This is where other people are actually referring to it, right? Um, Intel survived. Uh, so Andy Grove, founder of Intel, uh, for a lot of people who don't know, big chip maker. If you're listening to us, you're a technology person probably, and you know, you know about Intel. Or you've seen the commercials, right? The bum, bum, bum. (laughs) Um, So, you know, for them, it's just amazing that they stayed on the top for so long Mm. as a technology organization. What what is it, like 40 years old, something like that? Maybe 50? Um, And they've managed to stay at the top. You know, they're they're lagging a little bit recently. And some of that's just, I feel like, just due to silicone and technological limitations but you know to survive that long as a technology company where things are so rapidly changing is just just amazing to think because if we think about the largest companies now um facebook and google facebook is what 15 and google's 20 i mean and amazon's what 20 25 um i mean you have the two big goliaths Microsoft and Apple, but they weren't even that huge up until maybe about 20 years ago. Right. So um, it's, it's, it's a good read. I guess basically what I'm saying is I highly recommend your book. It's a good one. <laughs> well, there's another one that I was going to add to that, uh, that, um, that is another great book 
particularly on what we've been talking about in terms of having an agile mindset and being able to pivot as uh, new challenges arise. And that's the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. Oh yeah. uh, You know, part of what I love about that book too, is to your point, it's not written in an academic style. In fact, if anything, it's more like speaking to one of your peers who's got the added street cred of being able to, uh, you know, spin off uh, quotes from, Hip hop lyrics uh, at the beginning of every chapter. It's a good book. Yeah, and another one I would add too, and it has nothing to do with strategy. It's just got me thinking down this line. And we we talked about some personal goal setting and personal development, kind of with this. It's um, surely you must be joking, Mister Feynman. Oh, Have you ever read Richard that? Feynman? I Richard love Feynman, that book. Dr. Richard Feynman, you know, and he it has nothing to do about his physics work. And it just all has to do about his ideas on life and his thought process about setting goals and doing different things. And it's probably, in my opinion, it's an underrated book. Mm-hmm. Um, and even from a strategy perspective, I suggest you read it because he just throws different ways of thinking at you, which I think is a good idea, especially when you're talking strategy. Uh, that's brilliant. I, I love that you brought that up. I, I don't know if you knew that I was a closet Richard Feynman uh, junkie, but... Um, oh, I've got that book uh, somewhere here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got that one and there's a companion book to it called What Do You Care What Other People Think? Yeah. Which is an, another great read. But, you know, I, one, one comment that I'll make is uh, some of the physicists who worked with Feynman, when they talk about his level of genius and what it was that made his thinking so different. Uh, I forget who it was, Niels Bohr or someone that, you know, is saying here would be this group of us. We're all trying to solve this same problem and we're all looking at it in relatively the same way. And here Richard Feynman would come from this completely different direction. And that would always overturn all these other assumptions because he took the time kind of like what we were talking about with the paranoia right? To get into the perspective of looking at it from a completely different place than your expertise or your comfort might typically prompt you to do. And that's where, you know, the really fresh ideas start to emerge from. Yep. You got it. I guess with that, that's a good place to wrap, right? I love it. All right, Nick. All right. Enjoy your weekend, Brian. Yeah. Always good to talk with you.